Mansplanation is a show about two men trying to break free from the prison of toxic masculinity. They offer no professional advice or suggestion. They will occasionally use adult language and will often discuss examples of violence and malicious behavior, so parental guidance is recommended. Oh, it was one for the ages. <laughs> they'll, they'll raise glasses of mead. Uh, she, she may have just earned her uh, entry into Valhalla there. Welcome to Mansplanation, a talk show about our mistakes as men and what we are trying to do to make ourselves better. I am your host, Tim. I'm uh, Todd, sidecar at large. Sidecar at large. That's what I'm going to call myself this week, yeah. The sidecar. Okay, okay, sidecar. So yeah, what what happened with deleting Facebook? It's a, it, that's, it's, it's a big question. So where, where can I start? So the past, let's just like in the past two weeks, I've been trying to scrub my Facebook, okay. um, my, my, for my old account of like just identifying information, personal information, stuff that I didn't really want there to be copies of <laughs> records of. Makes sense. And after about a, like a week of working on it, uh, I realized the, it would probably take me like a good month to be able to say, okay, I feel confident that I got rid of everything that I wouldn't want people to see. I don't know if I said, I didn't say it to you, but I said it to somebody else who asked me, I'm like, burn your notebooks, right? Like, and that's how I first was kind of approaching it. Like, I don't remember, like I, I used to write a lot and post a lot of shit to my Facebook. And it's essentially at this point, like a very old notebook. And so I saved the stuff I wanted to save and then just started deleting it but do you do you have you heard that burn your notebook yeah yeah it's i think it's slightly bullshit that you should always just you know throw your past work away because it's juvenile right like or whatever oh, yeah yeah when i when i moved in with my wife i came across a, a chunk of high school notebooks that is like this needs to die in fire right usually i will only throw a notebook away a filled notebook if i'm like sure that i've gleaned everything out of it Okay. Like this no longer contains things that I want to, to remember or think about, like a sentence that I wrote or words or an idea, right? Or anything. This no longer contains something that I can use or I've also like put it in other places, right? Like I've written a story or poem or written it in another notebook. And certainly like I did that with Facebook. And so the only time I would throw stuff like notebooks, like whole notebooks away is when... I would spill drinks at right like when they would get fucked up. Either I like have gone through it enough times where it's like okay, I don't need this anymore, or uh, the the most noteworthy one, and I was not ready to throw this. I was not ready to get rid of it. Um, I lost like a year of work on in one of my notebooks because I, I kept it on my night table, and this was like when I was a twenty year old, and I spilled orange juice. And I cleaned the orange juice up, but it still killed your computer. No, it wasn't my computer. It was like a a, note, a paper, like a paper notebook. Got it. 
And I either like something happened, like days went by and I was looking for my notebook. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and write something. And, uh, apparently I had not cleaned up all the orange juice and it was like sitting in a puddle. Like I didn't realize how much I spilled or something because I was a dumb 20 year old and lived in filth and decay. And so it was like soggy and mush and not salvageable. But yeah, it had stuff in there that I still wonder what it was kind of thing. Okay. And so essentially Facebook has become that soggy, moldy mo- notebook. And the only way for me to sh- be sure to, to cl- that it is clean was to nuke it from orbit and start another account. Fair enough. So yeah, so and like in the in the time that I was like cleaning it out, I changed like I kind of shut it down so that nobody could find me. I changed my name on Facebook. I don't know if you saw that. Jen taught me how to do that before when I was working when I was doing some uh, scary work with sex offenders. Yeah. Scarier work with sex offenders. So I I will actually eventually do that, but in the meantime, I figure people won't if I if if I use a pseudonym pseudonym. Like if I'm just like T John or Tim John or whatever, people definitely wouldn't think it was real. And realistically, when you're on Facebook, I mean, you have a couple of different circles kind of in your orbit there. I mean, you have your friends would be like, okay, yeah, T John, that's Tim. Or family, they might not be like, Tim, who is this? Did you get hacked? Which is exactly what I assume. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I did a dumb man thing. That's the, the manliest thing I did this week where I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it. Right. And then <laughs> then 5,000 people asked you, did you get hacked? Well, actually even funnier, mo- most people asked Jen. People didn't even bother at like it's like, oh yeah, I, I made Jen do all the emotional network of being like, no, that really is Tim. Please be his friend. That's the that's the short version of the story. Okay. That's why. That's practically why. Um I, I actually have a topic if uh, if you're looking for oh, one tonight. Okay. So okay. it is uh, February 3rd right now, year of our Lord. Uh-huh. And uh, there is something that Tim and I are both not doing that feels like the majority of the country are doing. <laughs> it's a super bowel. Yeah, yeah. You're not watching it. I'm not watching it. I'm going to guess you don't care about it. I've, I've, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and even though I talked about it just earlier today, mm-hmm. because I went to the grocery store and I'm like, okay, I want to go right when the game starts so that it might be not crazy. Right. It was still crazy. I went to, yeah, went to Trader Joe's on a Sunday. It's not, not going to be crazy. It's funny. I, I, not, not only am I not watching the Super Bowl, you're not watching the puppy bowl either. I'm not watching the puppy bowl. I'm not watching the horsey bowl. I'm not watching the, the bowl of oranges. That they like race across the field, right? That's a thing that's happened. It happens. Isn't it sure it? is, Tim. So yeah, it's 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 sports bowl twenty nineteen. It's the two thousand and nineteenth one where the Los Angeles Rams are playing the New England Patriots. Yeah, that's actually all true stuff. Yeah, I. You know what? You could have made up a couple things there, and I would have been just nodding in agreement. Which makes for great podcasting. Oh, I did. I mean, the first thing I made. First thing I made up is this is not the 2009. There hasn't been 2019 Super Bowls. Yeah. Do Do you watch the Super Bowl eventually? Uh, not yeah. So not only am I not watching it, but I am. Um, I'm going to 
run lights at an improv theater really later okay yeah after this that's what i'm that's what i'm doing i'm gonna go do and it's funny because i was at i was at the theater last night and people were saying it's like oh there's a there's like show there's show tomorrow it's like yeah i care people who are gonna come to sunday night improv nobody's being turned off because it's like oh it's, it's not a high sports crowd anyway though surprisingly it is like comedy it's right this is a, i think a strange thing about you and me we're both big fans of comedy and other like male things like crime <laughs> you know american ninja warrior type stuff it's arguably the, the sport event i know the most about and this is funny because this is a topic that I've like also been thinking about bringing up. If I'm guessing your top, like our topics, not just the Super Bowl, right? It'd be kind of like sports, that that whole culture, that whole arena in general. Because you you've brought it up a couple times, uh, and I keep meaning to be like, oh, we should just dive into this because you keep bring, I I mean keep meaning to call you on it, but it's like no, that's all. It's a long conversation where you bring it up and you say. Uh, I'm not a sports guy. I don't care about football or not even not. I'm not a sports guy. It's just like, mostly I don't care about football. Like we talked about it around Thanksgiving. You've definitely said like, Oh, I'm not big sports, but you specifically like laser focused a couple times on, I don't give a shit about football. Yeah, man. I used to too. Yeah. I, I, I used to be into it. I used to go specifically to the gym on Sunday nights so I could hit the treadmill and watch football. That, that was an enjoyable evening for me. I used to go to Super Bowl parties. I used to have gone to a couple games. I, I used to really enjoy watching football. I th- the only time I care, right, like, and how much of that is because of how tied to uh, the city that you love, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, like how tied? That's perfectly it. That, that sums it up. I can remember walking down the street having a really crappy day, uh, another guy's getting ready to pass me on the sidewalk by the look on his face. He has a really crappy day behind him too. We made eye contact. He looked at me, nodded, gave me a nod and said, go Steelers. And we both walked away smiling. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the effect of football in this city, but man, I don't give a shit about it anymore. <laughs> How much of it is, so let me, let's backtrack. Did you, when did you start? Like, when is the period of time that you cared about f- football, American football? I didn't care about football probably until the early 2000s when the Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers, again, I'm I'm in Pittsburgh, uh, started getting good again. And uh, before that, no, I was was an underweight kid. I was somebody who, and on top of that, my dad worked 16 hours a day, so I didn't learn how to throw a football until my late, late teens. And so it's like I had no, I never watched it. I never played it. And if I did play it, I was forced to, and I sucked at it and, and so on and so on. And then about 2000, it, it got interesting. The Steelers drafted Ben Roethlisberger. And uh, yeah, it, it was very much something that was tied to the identity of the city. And when the Steelers were doing well, it seemed like Pittsburgh was doing well. And that, that was a nice thing. I hang out like, I don't know, this is weird, but like our mutual group of friends all would watch games yeah, together yeah. but none of us are people who care about like i would say are sports fans true yeah and, right it was mostly oh this every this is this is a shared community activity it was an excuse to kind of eat hang out with your friends watch something on tv and get excited and feel good about something. and talk about the next day that was i think yeah. that was a huge thing yeah i'm good 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the next morning, everybody wants to talk about the game, about the plays, about the refs, about who did what, who broke what record, and so on. And, and I, if I'm going to be completely honest, I never really got into that because it's kind of, for, for, for me at that point, football was kind of like that team. It was like Seinfeld, you know? Everybody watched it. Everybody kind of talked about it, but I was more of a passenger than in the driver's seat. Yes, I saw last night. I'm not going to dive deep into the jokes or anything like that. But, uh, but I'll, I'll sit here and I'll share this experience with you. Yeah. Um, and for me, the same, like same, I, I lived in a sports family. I don't like, you know, first thing on in the morning was sports center. I watched the same episode of sports center three times in a row. If I was up early enough in the morning, because did you absorb it? Did you enjoy it? (laughs) That's such a hard question. Did I enjoy it? No, I, yeah, did I, I was like, no, I did not enjoy it. Um, I was dragged, dragged, drugged, dragged. No, I wasn't drugged. You could have been drugged. I wasn't yeah. roofied. My, my family didn't hit you with a blow dart from across the room to knock you out and take you to a game. I know. I know it must be true where you grew up, but where I grew up, right? Like, like high school yeah. sports was a huge deal. Um, high school football, basketball, and baseball. There's actually a television show out about um, peewee football in the county where I grew up called Friday Night Tykes. And it's all about like family saying, you know, my five-year-old is good and I'm pretty confident he's going to make it to the NFL. This is our ticket out of poverty. And it's a kid who looks like a bobblehead running across the field because he's wearing a giant size helmet and he's got a little teeny tiny body. And it's that's where I grew up. And and then it's like, you know, inspirational yelling kind of yeah you you can well let's, let's put the inspirational in air quotes okay i'm just thinking of friday night lights it's like i don't have it i don't i didn't watch i don't have any friday night lights thunderstruck plays because it's varsity blues yeah. that's my it's a little giant it's a kid looking in the mirror who's skinny with muscles and little giants for me nowadays football kind of represents a lot of the worst about us yeah okay well <laughs> and i think friday night tykes is a is a wonderful starting off point into that i mean it's a show where people are putting all their hopes and dreams into a five-year-old who may or may not even want to play this game uh tonight the president yeah. uh came out and said that he doesn't even know if he'd let baron play football because he thinks that it uh, could be a, a dangerous sport for him and realistically yeah i know a lot of people who have played and high school college and they have injuries and they, they suffer and then i mean they enjoyed it i get that um and i think we did talk about the other thing this is the thing that really killed football for me is uh i i was working in law enforcement and a friend came in and confessed to me that he was at the bar the other night and his friend was pretty drunk and said i've got something to confess to you i was working ben roethlisberger's security detail the night that he raped that girl and uh when he came out of the bathroom and he came to us and said hey uh i think i think i might have a problem uh this uh my friend's friend ran into the bathroom with a and got some bleach from underneath the sink and splashed it all over the bathroom destroying a lot of evidence that, that that's the moment for me that football died like my wife and i were joking uh there's a a minor thing that happened in Pittsburgh this week where uh, one of the local news channels, they aired a segment about Tom Brady. And underneath the uh, the crawl at the bottom where it says his name, they put it in there, no cheater, 
my wife was saying, oh, man, I'm so sick of Tom Brady and everything like that. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, let's say he did cheat. He probably did. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't rape two people. He didn't sodomize a teenager in the bathroom at a bar. She's like, when you put it like that, okay, he's not as bad. Not known rapist. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's also the example for me of like, oh, mm-hmm. it was it was weird because it was around that time that right a lot a lot of the more I forget what it's called specifically, but the concussion science was really starting to hit, and yeah, it was like, oh, the NFL is a horrible, horrible organization. Pretty much, yeah. Um, all around and covers shit up and is actually. I have, I mean, I have another close friend who I, I, I won't take credit for, but he calls it a blood sport, and so I started calling it a blood sport because of how much damage these guys who play uh, professional football in the U.S. do to their body. It, everything that's wrong with U.S. culture and society is kind of summed up by the NFL. For me, I, I kind of have to be in agreement. I mean, if, if we're going to use, I mean, there's so many examples to jump off from there. To turning a blind eye to sexual assaults, to spousal abuse, to, oh man, whatever you want to call it, all the toxic masculinity there. Uh, all the evils that come from toxic masculinity, including it being a very racist institution, a very sexist institution, and also perpetrator of crimes against women and... There was just a st- – yeah, I'm forgetting the story. But I think the same can also be said for organizations like the Olympic Committee, FIFA, um, sports in general. Like I, I'm not – I don't – I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, the NFL is really the bad apple. I would say 80% of my um, boyfriends, my male friends, uh, my guy friends, my dudes, my dudes, my homies, my bros, my my home skillets from the block, um, were are big into sports. Like especially from high school. Like I'm I'm for whatever reason still on text text threads about pit basketball and pit football with a couple of my college friends, and I, it's like this is fun way to keep in touch. And I like yeah for a time I got really into college basketball. And that's kind of a holdover from my childhood because basketball was a big basketball was one of the big three sports in my high school, um, followed up by golf and cross country. Really, those were the big three: baseball, football, and basketball. Sorry. Oh, I thought I thought you meant like okay, it was basketball, cross country, and golf. It's like, what kind of Twilight Zone universe do you live in where anybody gives a shit about cross country? Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> cross country. It's the sport you can play if you don't like team sports in most American. I was a six year letterman in cross country. High schools. It, it, it's if, if, you're, if your school doesn't have, if you're not rich enough to play tennis, mm-hmm. uh, the track is for you. Me going home back to Pennsylvania during. Like homecoming or anything like that. Yeah, I've I've thought about that. Like moving back, it's like I probably will go to a high school football game to socialize with with family and yeah, people I haven't seen in a while because that's the thing to do in town. But yeah, uh, and I think that's probably why, I, as as a a young soft boy, 
being turned off by like that kind of toxic, evil masculinity is why I kind of shied away from sports, right? Because that was all the things I didn't like about men when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That it existed in locker rooms, all the posturing and screaming and dramatic stuff. Like I, it's it's funny. Like my first job was a statistician for uh, JV baseball, and then a freshman, our freshman basketball team. And at some point I was just, I was, I'm like, I was over it because of how upset the coach would get when we let, right? Like, because how, like how devastating it was to lose. And yeah, like, right. At the time I wouldn't been able to intellectualize it this way, but right. Like how that's such a terrible lesson to teach kids. Yeah. That you can learn something from defeat there. You can learn something from losing. And I would, you know, I don't, I don't know statistics, but I would guess that I don't know that we're in the minority. What do you mean? Of of people who didn't really do team sports and didn't care about team sports when we were growing up, and now I would guess that of all of the people I know, mm-hmm. I would say eighty percent of them are watching the Super Bowl. Probably, yeah. And that might be, and that might be like that might be pr- pretty high. But definitely like friends and family. The last time I watched the Super Bowl was because of our foreign friends, because it was like an American thing to do. So we got to watch the Super Bowl, right? So it's like, let's have a Super Bowl party. This is thing people at work are doing. Did I, I, I might have put it on last year. I don't know. I do weird things sometimes. This is true. I, I can attest to that. Especially since I was doing, you know, I was in commercial production for a couple of years um it was like oh you got to watch the commercials if you're in marketing and advertising and if you're even adjacent to that world the super bowl is the both the super bowl of football and also the super bowl of like copywriting right and advertising right so when yeah. all the big ads come out and everything like that so the people that aren't into football they'll talk about hey did you see this commercial hey did oh, you right. see this movie trailer hey did what do you what did you think about Pepsi versus Coke? Whatever. Yeah, as my uh, you know sports loving family male family members would say, they would bitch about it because like, oh, you don't actually care about the game, and you're annoying and you're talking and you're bothering me. Give me my beer. Give me my beer, Martha. They call you Martha. Give me that American Budweiser. I'm, this is. <laughs> huh. I'm learning so much about you, Tim. Nobody calls me. No, Martha is is the 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 wife. Of one of my family members okay. in this fictional universe in my head. I haven't really watched any, I haven't watched the Super Bowl since 2012 because that's when I got my job in law enforcement. That's when I had the bright idea that I could probably get a lot more good arrests if on Super Bowl Sunday during the game, I go out with a breathalyzer and make sure that my sex offenders were not drinking. Uh, spoiler alert, they were and they were not happy to see me. <laughs> You're like this this cop don't like football and this guy must really hate us if he's turning down the super bowl to to mess with us no it's just the easier thing to do i don't care about the game man i get to make your life uh not more difficult but more structured that's the way i'll say it you're the worst judge of yourself kind of thing, or you're the worst judge of your experiences. So it's really hard for me to say if I was pressured or not pressured. I would say that I was very lightly and lovingly pressured to play football mm-hmm. as a kid. Did you play? No. Oh, okay. 
uh, I did go to like a couple of like weight lifting sessions with the football team and training sessions and my 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 disinterest in doing it was read by my family so your family had the cognizance to say okay this is not tim's thing we can push him into it and make him miserable or let him find the only thing that he enjoys and nurture that and right and like just for further context like my family were were characters in friday night lights as far as i know about having never seen that tv show it's a really good movie and it honestly and he, it's like the book is good the show is better the but like right, like my brother was a, a a football all star in high school, and then a coach. And I think he he still might be a coach. My dad was a coach, football, baseball. Like every every male in my family, but me, has coached a high school sport at some level. Honestly, I'm looking forward to coaching track or cross country when my kids are older. I think that's something that I'd really enjoy. I think it's something I, I yeah I, I could give some kids something from that. So if there's one lesson I think I took away from cross country, it's that you really only, only run the race against yourself. So if you come in dead last, but you beat your time, then you, you've made progress. And that's that's the race you wanted to run. And that's the race you wanted to, to win. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was my lesson. And that's something I've really taken with me my entire life. So when my kids are running right now, I was like, Dad, I won the race. He's like, that that's fine. Did you have fun? Did you improve? Are you happy with what you did? Those are the more important things. Did you learn that or did Boz Lerman teach you that? Because I think Boz Lerman taught you that. I think he's the one that to- that told you the race is only with yourself. In the end, the race is long and hard. And in the end, it's... A- what movie was that? Was this Moulin Rouge? Was this uh, Australia? Was this... Uh- oh, no. This was Always Wear Sunscreen. I you lost me, Tim. Do you know the song? You know the song that's the graduation speech? Was that him? I thought that was Kurt Vonnegut. No, the he produced the single, right, that went... When when was it like ninety nine, ninety eight? It was it was right around when I was graduating high school, or was was like an older teen about to graduate high school when it came out. And right, the conventional wisdom, or the you know whatever folk folk story is that it's a Kurt Vonnegut graduation speech. Always wear sunscreen. Yeah, and it's not. Um, it 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 is lifted from a graduation speech that. Did go, you know, back when before the word viral existed, that went viral in the nineties, like, you know, being shared via email. Okay, yeah. And so he took some of the Boz Lerman took some of the text of that and put it to write inspirational music. And one of the lines is the the race is long and hard, and in the end it's only with yourself. Okay. No, no, I I got that from Coach Shooting Cross Country. Well, he stole it from 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 Bosler. Oh, yeah. Or this famous graduation speech. No doubt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that um, is what we call in the podcasting industry a tangent. Going from uh cross country to Boslerman, definitely a tangent. No, I mean you it's racing. Um I know I played golf. That was the sport that if I was gonna be uh, you know, a chubby overweight kid and not play a team sport then i had to pay, play the fake team sport of uh of golf of match play golf did you enjoy it no i mean i some of the courses were very nice to walk on yeah like as you as you know as you know once a year my family hosts a memorial golf tournament that i go and volunteer at and i hate i i you hate it 
it's hard to use the word hate about something that's that's i hate golf like i hate the i hate the whole the the use of resources and the whole concept of there's a good story about oh shit i forget who some i don't remember any of the specifics of the story but let's tell it this is like drunk history without any beer or knowledge so yeah you're not a golf fan it's because it's so intractably linked to my family there there's a lot of good personally for me that comes from golf getting to hang out with some people that you might not normally see yeah it's it's such a huge part of my growing up because i had you know had to play it had to care about it kind of the same way that i had to care about sports and until i finally i'm like okay maybe i'll try caring about it and then realizing this isn't for me and then going back to this thing about you saying oh i'm not a sports guy is how how nerdy sports gets and like people who I think of as comedy and theater people who are also into sports. Um, I think about like when Grantland became a thing or, and that juxtaposition between ESPN and nerds um, or Malcolm Gladwell or the Freakonomics people, anyone who is interested in history and statistics and those kinds of things gets interested in sports, right? Yeah, they, they find a way to kind of take their one of their passions and lay it on top of something else. I'm interested in math. I'm interested in minutia. And I'm interested in sports, so I'm going to get interested in the math and minutia of my particular sport. And I think it's, it's, it's funny, like, when Reply All does the yes, yes, no's. Do you listen to Reply All? Not anymore. That whenever, whenever they bring up, like, sports tweets, because... Social media is a huge part of sports, the reality side of sports, and has changed things maybe for the better because I think, you know, I don't know, there's more eyes on it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of stuff's not getting uh, kind of swept into the shadows where it was before. And, and again, going back to my statement that, you know, NFL is kind of a microcosm of everything that's wrong in the US. Okay, it's also our kind of barometer of. Well, people are watching it and people are paying attention to it, much like people are now watching and paying attention to very other racist and sexist institutions like Hollywood or, uh, you know, the U.S. government. I I think the way that it's changing is the stories are finally getting told, whether it's going to be the cheerleaders who are not getting paid or they're being told uh, you you can only put on a maximum of three pounds or you must come down and – put on a show for these shareholders or the fact that cheerleader right that cheerleaders are still a a thing when i say cheerleaders are still a thing i mean like skimpy bikini cheerleaders are still a thing not that there is like professional dancers or people you know of all bodies types and sizes and men dancing and cheering and being paid to be you know boosters so sorry, you were going to say, Tim, you're completely wrong? No, no. Um, I was going to say that I recently read a story about um, the NFL has a retiree program where uh, if you played football decades ago, then and you can basically get a, um, a pension from the NFL. But typically it tends to be incredibly minimal, like maybe $100 a month. And, these are, and uh, the person – there was a person who runs – the equivalent of a veteran service organization for former NFL players. Whereas, you know, if you're having a hard time, you can write to them and say, Hey, I could use some help with this. And they can 
financially help you. And the woman that was running it was saying is like, well, the saddest one I got recently was a guy who said, I can't see because I can't afford eyeglasses. Can I please have $75? Otherwise, I just can't afford it. And, and kind of like what we talked about, this is somebody who had given his body and his youth and, and everything in him to build up this sport to what it is today. And now he just can't afford $75 for a pair of glasses. And they were talking about how um, there is a movement to get these players um, brought into this more, okay? Larger share of the profits because this is something that they built and this is going to be the last year that it reasonably can happen because so many of these people are elderly at this point and they are going to die. And uh, the interviewer said something to the effect of, to the reporter, do you think it's going to happen? And the reporter just closed with, the NFL did not get to where it is in American society by being kind and generous. So no, I don't think so. No, I mean, it, they're robber barons, right? Like th- to me, to me, it's such an antiquated, weird. And again, it's like, I assume the NBA and M and major league baseball are, are very similar. And I'm assuming NHL must be very similar. Like, like the NFL, like I just imagine what I imagine, you know, like people like Andrew Carnegie, and oil barons and robber barons sitting in a room with cigars and pocket watches in the decaying club and laughing about <laughs> their mandingo fights because that's what I see. Yeah, sorry, wow. I might edit that. I'm, but right, literally, like you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained just fighting their 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 brown slaves against each other. Mm-hmm. What'd you what'd you bring for us this week besides this wonderful topic? Thank you. What, what's uh what's get, you mean like what's getting us through? Um, I was listening to a podcast and it led me down a rabbit hole of another podcast. Uh, the first one was about uh, the impending doom of California via earthquake, and uh, one of the producers on there she is a uh, first she's actually an immigrant to America. And, and just to rewind, this is what's getting you through this week. Yes. Uh, her name is uh, Misha Youssef, and she came from Pakistan to America when she was a teenager. And the podcast is called Beginning. And it's all about the things that she just never picked up on, the th- things that she never incorporated into herself while she was beginning to become an American. She never learned to ride a bike, or probably more accurately stated, she knew how to ride a bike when she was in Pakistan. But when she came over, she kind of felt that it was much more important, worth her time to focus on how to fit in with the kids around her, how to talk like them, how to walk like them, how to share an experience with them. And so she actually forgot how to ride a bike. So one episode, she spends it trying to learn how to ride a bike or uh, talking about uh, not really being involved in the pop culture of the moment. So she never got into the Backstreet Boys or anything like that because she was uh, involved in the, the culture of the country that she left behind. And so it's about her reclaiming and rediscovering that. I know what you're thinking. Oh, beginner, it must be a podcast about a kid growing up. It is. Ozzy, everybody knows you're away. But this isn't my story. No, don't say that. It's the story of my 24-year-old sister, Misha, who never had the chance to grow up the way I did. You see, when I was born in 2004 in Los Angeles, she had just immigrated with my parents from Toronto. She's just utterly charming. Um, The way I'm describing it, uh, she she has an effervescence about her in this podcast. It's just you want to listen to it. You want to you want to sit in your car 
and just finish off the episode before you go in the house. At the far end of town, with a griggled glass grass that's a really hard word. At the far end of town where the griggled grass grows. So she's finally there. Um it also makes me think of my father who uh was first generation American. He was the his brother and sister were born in we think Poland. The, the, the whole thing's kind of murky and clouded in mystery. But uh, he was the one who um, uh, my aunt and uncle still speak with a pretty thick, heavy accent. He spoke uh, accentless English, and uh, I can remember going over to my grandparents and him speak shift, shifting back and forth between English, Ukrainian, and Polish pretty fluidly, and begging him, "Please teach me this stuff." And he wouldn't because uh, he said it was hard for him when he was a kid and having. Not, not being able to speak English until he went to kindergarten and having to learn it on the fly. So it just really made me think about uh, what immigrants and what immigrants' children have to go through and uh, how they create us in turn. So if anybody's looking for a good uh, podcast that is uh, doled out in 15-minute increments, I cannot recommend beginning enough. Misha Youssef. Misha is M-I-S-H-A. Youssef is E-U-C-E-P-H-T-E-M. P-H-T-E-M? Yep, P-H-T-E-M. It's weird. It must be a Pakistani thing. What's getting you through, Tim? Elaine May. Okay. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Walk away. Uh, Elaine May. Do you know who Elaine May is? No clue. Do you know who Mike Nichols is? Yeah. Yeah, I know Mike Nichols. Exactly. Which I think is hilarious. Like, So Elaine May... For those of you who don't know who Mike Nichols is, uh, you may have heard of such movies as The Birdcage or The Graduate or um, I'm not going to rattle off his CV, but he's a, a comedy director, Hollywood. One of his beginnings was um, in a comedy duo called Nichols and May, and his partner was Elaine May, who uh, did three Hollywood movies. In the 70s, uh, the first was called New Leaf, her and Walter Matthau. She was writer, director, actor, an adaptation. Her second movie was called The Heartbreak Kid, which is probably, I think, her most famous one. It's it's Charles Grodin, I think, um, but a comedy, again, adapted from a, I think, a, a, I want to say, not Paul Simon. Um, Neil Simon. <laughs> Neil Simon. I was like, Newell Simon, Neil Simon play. And then her third movie, which I just watched and was completely blown away, uh, was called Mikey and Nikki. It was her screenplay, original screenplay. She directed it. Uh, she directed Peter Falk, who is like just rising on Columbo. I think it's 1974. And John Cassavetes. And it's not a com. It, it's a it's a dark comedy. But it is toxic masculinity. The basic plot of it is um, they are two small-time criminals, like low on the rung in organized crime, best friends since they're kids, and John Cassavetti's character has a hit put out on him. And he calls, he calls his friend Peter Falk to come over and help him um, get him out of town. They're, they're such, it's, it's such a beautiful movie. The performances, the way it looks at, you know, in that time, especially, you know, Godfather area, how it doesn't glorify crime at all. Like there's a there's a there's a great scene of them riding a bus 
a public bus and they're playing what I called as a child hot hands, okay. you know, where you slap each other. Yeah, yeah. And they're just laughing and like having a good time. And then they go to hit like one of their the girlfriend's house and yeah, uh, terrible shit ensues, <laughs> like horrible masculine violence and treating women. And it's very, it's very real. Like, are you John Cassavetes fan? Love him. Husbands. Korea. Killing of a Chinese bookie. It's a very John Cassavetes. It's it's Elaine May making a John Cassavetes movie. It's it's John Cassavetes movie from a female perspective. Okay. Which really comes through in the movie. It's like, this is women looking, this is a woman's view of toxic masculinity and how women see it because, and you see it through female characters eyes and you see it through each other's eyes, essentially how it not only destroys these men, but destroys what, you know, looked like a good friendship, but, um, ultimately doesn't end well. But uh, it got her – it essentially got her not officially blacklisted from Hollywood, but because, one, it wasn't a comedy, and that's what she was known for. She was a comedian, and she had just done two, two very well-received comedies. And she was two years late delivering it to Paramount, and it was just – it seemed like the studio was pissed that this was the movie that she was making. And uh, there's just so there, – there's one thing I want to say about it. It's just like, yeah, fuck yeah, Elaine May. I don't remember you doing shit for me. Acting is writing with words, but it's also writing with the body in a certain way. It's almost choreographic. You're a piece of nothing. There's a scene in the film where they have a fight in the street where they roll around together, and it almost plays like a love scene. They move through the streets like dancers. It's a very intensely physical film. The camera is really agile. The camera focuses on details. It focuses on gestures. Just as Cassavetes and Falk have an intensely physical style of acting, May creates an intensely physical style of camera work to go with it. She would do shit like leave the cameras running and so they shot more film for it than they shot for Gone with the Wind which is a very like long movie and very noteworthy for how much film stock they used to make it. Um, but yeah, it was like she would leave cameras running after the actors left set because they might come back, you know, kind of like I'm going to take all this footage and edit it and find and make the movie I want in the edit kind of thing. Okay. So just shoot, shoot, shoot. And then it's all made in the bay. The way it's edited is like, Oh yeah, there, there are no words needed. And I think, yeah, and so she she kind of came back. So she wrote the screenplay for The Birdcage, which is also one of my favorite movies. Um, she's very funny. I would I would look up um, on your sh- audio streaming service. YouTube doesn't have any great clips of Nichols in May, but um, Spotify at least had uh, has one of their comedy albums. The stuff on the stuff on YouTube, like our clips from like old TV shows in the fifties. So, but that's going to do it for us tonight. It is. All right, Tim. So have a good night. You too. Go Steelers. No, I'm going to hang up on you now after that. Thank you for listening listeners to Mansplanation. Um, you can check us out and other shows at a crash Acrashpod.com slash mansplain for mansplanation specifically. You can find us uh, anywhere. 
your podcaster of choice. Uh, thank you to the artist Kala for the use of our theme song, their song, uh, Freed from Greed, off the album Trinity. You can find more of their music at Kala.com. Uh, thank you again and again, and good night, and as always, don't keep yourself in a box. Yeah.